Well, good morning, church. So glad that you are here, and welcome to those of you who are watching and joining online. You know, this morning, as I walked in, preparing this week, there was one word that just kept coming up in my heart over and over and over again. And that word was invitation. And friends, I want you to know that God has an invitation for you. That it doesn't matter how long you've been walking with Jesus or how long you haven't. That no matter where you are in your faith journey, God has another step for you. An invitation for you to become more completely who God has intended you to be. Because from before time was time, God had a plan for your life. God created you with intention. There was no mistake in you, no matter your parents' intention, no matter whether they planned or didn't, whether you were a gift or not. God, y'all know what I'm talking about. God has a plan for you. And no matter how long you've been journeying, he's not done with you yet. Like some of us, we know some scripture. Some of us have served in some places. Some of us have given for a long time. And yet the call of God, the invitation is I still have more for you. For some of us like Samuel, my dude, proud of you. The invitation of God is that I will do immeasurably more than all you could ever ask or imagine. You think you know what you're getting into. You think you know how good I can be. You think you know what love is. You've not seen anything yet. And friends, I want you to know this morning, no matter where you are, no matter how hard COVID has hit, no matter how long the journey's been, God has an invitation for you. And it's an invitation to maturity and to completion. Because, you know, sometimes we, we get distracted. Uh, sometimes we end up like uh, my son Porter. Uh, this summer, I had the chance to do some work down in Harlingen. And so we took the big rig, the fifth wheel down there, and, and parked it on South Padre Island. And you all know well uh, that there are things that I don't do in life. Uh, for example, um, I don't do yogging. It's not my thing. Um, I don't do uh, uh, snakes. The only good snake is a dead snake. Like, it's just, that's, that's facts. It's biblical, I'm pretty sure, at least in the Mackey International Version. And then I don't do sharks because sharks eat people and I'm a people. And so, like, I'm just not trying, like, you don't get in the ocean and you can't get eaten by a shark. But there we were at South Padre. And for whatever reason, like this wisdom hadn't been taught to my son Porter because what happens when my man gets to the ocean? right? Like swimsuit optional. He jumps into the ocean, right? He's got his little floaties and the waves are coming. And what, you know, you know, the little, the floaties that got like a go around the arm and the chest, right? He gets out in the ocean. What does he do? He just starts fighting the waves, just like a little, uh, not rock him, sock him. He starts fighting the waves because that's what three, two years olds do. Kids just fight the waves, right? And the day's going to come when he's going to realize that there are sharks out there that might punch back. But as I started thinking about uh, that story, it came to mind when I read something from Dr. Sharon Ketchum in a book called Reciprocal Church. She shared a really similar story and it had a powerful point to it. Here's what she said. She said, at age four, my daughter fearlessly faced the ocean waves. She would stand before them and she would, with determination, daring them to topple her. 
that she would laugh joyfully as they met the challenge time and time again. But at age five, something happened. At age five, her daughters began to avoid the very same waves that the year before she faithfully tried to uh, challenge. She would come apprehensively to the edge of the surf. She would cling to her boogie board, and she wasn't quite sure if she was going to go into the dark ocean. And Dr. Ketchum, as a mother, began to ask the question, well, what has changed from a year ago to today? And she began to ask her daughter about it. She realized that she, at some point, heard a friend talk about seahorses. And she knew the word sea, and she knew the word horses, and her imagination began to fill in the gaps. And so she began to think that there are giant mare-sized horses in the ocean that are hiding under the waves that are coming to tackle her. She just didn't know that really what she was thinking about was sharks. But she began to fill in the gaps. Her daughter's partial knowledge, she only knew what a sea and what a horse meant. When her imagination filled in the gaps between each individual word, it left her with a partial understanding. It left her with an understanding that deeply flawed her vision of the ocean. And as I thought about that, I thought, you know, sometimes, more times than I like to admit, to admit I have a partial understanding of my faith. I, I, I know the words, what they mean in, in the Bible. Like I can put a definition to it, but then my imagination or my selfishness or my comfort begins to fill in the gaps, and I'm left with a partial view. Like, I know Matthew 7 too. Like, the measure to which you judge somebody, you will be judged. I get that. I know what those words mean until I see those people. I ain't got to tell you who those people are because you know who they are. Those people. You fill in the blank. And then all of a sudden, like, my judginess fills in the blank, and I'm left with this incomplete view of what it means to judge with the right measure. I give the insiders a good measure and I give the outsiders a short measure. Well, you know, I know what Micah 6.8 says. I know that what God desires is that I would act justly and do mercy and would walk humbly with God and I'm all for that fighting for the cause that affects me. But when it affects someone else, I just kind of fill in the gaps. My comfort fills in the gap and I'm kind of like, you know what? I don't need to worry about that issue. I don't need to do mercy in that way. I don't need to fight for justice there. I have a partial view. Like, like I'm with the song we were singing, David. They were leading us. I'm with you. I, I believe that I am who you say I am until my doubts begin to fill in the gaps, right? I have this partial view. Like, I understand the fruit of the Spirit. Somebody with me. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Like, I'm with that until as my kids are eating, they're asking for another snack. And I'm like, bro, you're literally eating right now. Like, and you ate 10 minutes ago, and now you want another snack, right? And all of a sudden, my end of the ropeness starts to fill in the gaps. Has anybody ever been there? <laughs> yeah. And so we end up with this partial view. And friends, what I want for you, more than that, what God wants for you, his invitation is an invitation to a mature and complete faith, not a partial vision of what it means to be in relationship with God or to follow after him, but a mature and a complete version. 
You see, you say, what is mature, Christian maturity? J. Oswald Sander said this about Christian maturity. Spiritual maturity is simply Christ-likeness. That we are as mature as we are like Christ. That, That he was the only fully mature man. That his character was complete, well-balanced, and perfectly integrated. That that would be said of you and of me. That all of his qualities and capacities were perfectly attuned to the will of his Father. That Jesus is the picture of spiritual maturity. But good news, that God doesn't just want spiritual maturity for Jesus. He wants it for you. It's the invitation. And throughout the scriptures, we see again and again that at the heart of God is for you to be like Jesus. Let's read Ephesians 4 and 11 through 13. It says this, And so Christ himself gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body... Of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and read this, and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You see, God has put in place a system within the church, a system within his family, so that you can help me and I can help you become fully who God has created you to be. Like he didn't just say, hey, go figure it out and left us with no instructions. He said, hey, go become mature and do it with everyone around you. You see, nobody can do everything, but everybody can do something to help others become who they were created to be. That's why we pray for people. That's why we serve people. That's why we teach. That's why people volunteer to do popsicles on the porch. That's why people volunteer to be small groups with middle school kids because they want to do their part. And there's things that you can do that I can't. There are things that I can do that you can't. But we all have a role to play in helping the the family of God become mature. One of my favorite verses in James chapter 1, beginning in verse 2, says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. When you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you might be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You see, God wants you so much to be like Jesus that he doesn't let the trials and the bad days and the hard times derail him. Somebody needs to hear this morning that God is not derailed by the trials in your life. That the plans that God has for you, who you are becoming, they're not derailed by the trials, but instead they are the very course. It's, it's an obstacle course that you get to enroll in that allows you to become fully who you are meant to be. In Colossians 4 and verse 12, Paul writes and he says, a, a member of your own family and a servant of Christ Jesus sends you his greetings and listen to the prayer of a brother in Christ. He always prays earnestly for you, asking God to make you strong and perfect, fully confident that you are following the whole will of God. Father, Dad, if you don't know how to pray or what to pray for your bride, 
pray this. If you're uncomfortable praying with your family, pray this in silence and pray it every day. Every time you pray this right here, that God would make them strong and perfect, that they would be fully confident in following the whole will of God. When you don't know what to pray for somebody, just pray Colossians 4.12. You might want to write it down so you don't forget it. The evil one has a way of making you forget what the preacher says on Sunday morning so you can't put it into practice on Wednesday morning. You might want to write it down. When you don't know what to pray, pray Colossians 4 in verse 12. And here we see maybe even the, the whole goal of it all in, Col- in, in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28. Paul says this in his opening, we proclaim him warning and instructing everyone in all wisdom that is, with comprehensive insight to the word and purposes of God. When we teach, we got to be prepared. When we speak up, we got to be ready so that we may present every single person. There's no exception to every. Every person, every Republican, every Democrat, every independent, every person that went to that school or comes from that place, every person that's done that wrong thing, everyone that's fallen short, that every person would be complete in Christ that is mature, fully trained, and perfect in him, the anointed one. Friends, I want you to hear this. There's nobody that Jesus will say no to. Come on. There's nobody that Jesus will say no to. Because Jesus really loves you. And Jesus really loves him. Like I'm talking like if Jesus had an iPhone, your picture would be the background. That's how much Jesus loves you, right? He's, he's one of those guys. God, Jesus is one of those, that he would be a blue screen, a blue text kind of person. That he would just keep texting you again and again. Even if you never text back and give him that, gr- that gray bubble on the message thread. He's just going to keep calling out and keep chasing after you because he loves you that much. Again, J. Oswald Sanders says, in short, God's purpose is to produce people who fulfill their humanity and become what God designed them for. That God wants you to be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And so here's the invitation for this week and next. We're going to do a two-part series called Mature and Complete. And there's not going to be any pull yourself up by the bootstraps. There's not going to be any let's just get better like American-type Christianity. Let's just do a little bit more. These next two weeks are all about the invitation. That wherever you are, the call is not to be mature, but it's to become. That we are always becoming. That there's always more to attain because there's always more of Jesus. And so next week, we're going to talk about disciplines. We're going to talk about prayer. We're going to talk about scripture. And we're going to talk about generosity. And the invitation for those is, as we pray, the invitation is to go from talking to God, an impartial view, see horses, to a more mature and complete, a fuller view, to listening for God. That as we open up the scriptures, we're going to go from Bible study, seahorses, to Bible Dewey. Come on, to Bible Dewey. I don't want to just study the Bible. I want to do the Bible. That we talk about generosity, 
that we're going to talk about being generous with my stuff, see horses, to being a generous person. It's just my default. It's who I am, that I am generous with my life. But that's next week. This week, we're going to talk about relationships. Relationships with God, relationships with self, and relationship with others. And I hope, that you, I hope that you know by now that when we come, we go full tilt boogie. I hope that you're taking notes. I hope that you're taking pictures of the screen. I hope that you're ready. Short pencil's better than a long memory. And they only put me 30 minutes on the clock. They don't know. <laughs> I think that was a default. Anyways, as we begin to talk about relationship with God, here's the move. I want you to see where we're going. When it comes to our relationship with God, we want to move from checklist to dependence. Here's the stuff I do for God to I can't do anything apart from God. That as we talk about relationship with self, we want to move from all about me to not about me. And but I'm going to tell you, that's a long road. Somebody with me? <laughs> that's a long road to go from, not about, from all about me to not about me. Three letters, but it takes a lifetime to rearrange them. When we talk about others, we're going to talk about the invitation to move community from being optional to required. That you are not optional for me. That I'm not optional for you. That we are required for one another, to become mature and complete. And so let's begin. As we talk about relationships, in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, you know, you, you, we see in the beginning that however the beginning began, whether it was a big bang, whether it was rocks, sticks, atoms, neurons, whatever it was, whatever it was before that was God. I'm a reverent agnostic. I don't know how God did it, but I know however he did it, he did it. And in the beginning, there was God. And God created and he spoke and there was light and there was darkness and there was mountains and there was oceans and there were land and there were lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, he created it all and he saw that it was good. But Genesis 1 and 27, God does something different. He says, and so God created mankind in his own image and in the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. That mankind was created in the image of God, which means that we were created in a relational or a communal nature. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That to have one is to have all. And for you and me, to be a part of community is just a part of our divine DNA. We see the communal nature of God throughout Scripture. But maybe the most interesting place that we see the communal and the importance of the Trinity is actually on the cross. Because on the cross, do you remember some of the last words of Jesus? He says, my God, my God, in Matthew 27, why have you forsaken me or abandoned me? Do you know what Jesus is quoting when he's, when he's speaking out? He's not coming up with new thoughts. What is he doing? He's quoting scripture. Did you know this? Psalm 22 is what Jesus is quoting. And when you go back and you read Psalm 22, you realize that it is much deeper. It is much more scary. It is much more um, um, scandalous than, um, why have you forgiven me or forsaken me? It's almost a sense of apostasy. It's a sense of God becoming an atheist against himself. 
That's, that's scandalous. But it shows us just how important the very nature of God is, of that relationalness. And it's the same for you and me. When we miss out on the relationships God has intended for us with himself, with others, and, and, and with our own selves, it, it's as if we are denying a piece of or doubting a piece of who God created us to be. That so often, we will, we will choose two of the three that we'll say, uh, I'm going to focus really hard on knowing God and my personal relationship with Jesus. That's, that's where I'm going to go all in on. And we totally ignore the community. We think that community becomes optional. And when we do that, you know what happens? The community we do have starts to look a lot like me, myself, and I. That when we ignore the other that God has created intentionally and on purpose, the only people we see are people that look like ourselves. Or, or if we, we focus on just self and community, what happens is we turn God into like this divine Tony Robbins. Like you, could, like you could go Tony, you could go Oprah, you could go Jesus. It's a toss-up because what really matters is the people. We could open up the scriptures. We don't have to. We could go self-help. We could go scripture. It doesn't really matter. All that really matters is that I'm disciplined, that I meditate. You call it prayer. I'll call it meditation. We miss the divine, the, 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 the beyond usness. Or when we focus just on community and on God, we start to think that because I go to church, that I'm a Christian. But friends, I'm going to tell you, going to church doesn't make you a Christian anymore and going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. You know what I mean? And so like, there has to be this sense of relate. And so you see, we need all three. And so today we're going to talk about what it looks like to go from an incomplete to a complete with each of these relationships. When it comes with God, I want you to write this down, take a picture of it, because this is the first of three movements that we're making today. That I become mature and complete when I depend on God. That I become mature and complete. I live into the relationship that God has created me to be in when I depend on God. You know, how, how common is this? Somebody tell me if you've been here. Uh, when you're hanging out, maybe at the loft, getting some coffee, uh, or like my kids like to do a cheese sandwich with a piece of candy, um, as you're hanging out with people and you're spending time there, you say, hey, how's your relationship with God? Or, or maybe they ask you, hey, how's your walk going? Anybody ever been asked that before? Hey, how's your, how's your walk? Nobody's been asked, how's your walk before? Like then we might need to, re if nobody's asked you that, well, we might need to start over, John, you know what I'm saying? But somebody, hey, how you doing? How you doing with Jesus? And you, you might respond with something like, "Well, you go through the checklist and you go, well, you know, I, I, I've been praying a little bit. Uh, you know, I still, I'm still struggling a little bit with praying, but I've been doing some praying. Uh, but I've been reading my Bible, man, two chapters a day, every day. I'm gonna get through the whole. I'm doing. It. I'm faithful. You've been memorizing scripture. Yep, I got me this app, Bible Memory app. I've been getting after it, memorizing my scripture." You've been going to church. Well, I've been doing the COVID thing. We watch online. You know, I put the kids uh, on, the, on the tablet so we can focus, but it's, it's all good. They're watching Bible Man on Right Now Media, so it's good. Uh, well, how's your sin management? Keeping your sin down, right? Good deeds up, sin down. How you do? We respond with a checklist, and I want you to understand things like this, what do you call them, spiritual disciplines, we call them a checklist, protocols, they matter, but only to the point that they make you more dependent on God. 
that I'm going to say this, and I think I can stand by it, and if I can't, you can fire me. I don't care. <laughs> if you reading scripture leads you to become prideful and more pompous and less dependent on God, then you need to fast from scripture. There was a time that, that Scott Hare, we were sitting at the old loft and he said, bro, you don't need to read the Bible for a little bit. And I was like, what are you talking about? He said, man, your pride is getting bigger and bigger the more you learn about scripture. It's not making you more dependent on God. It's making you more independent. And you see the, the disciplines that we have, they are helpful to the point that they make us more dependent. That's the goal. Why do I pray? So I can become more dependent on God. Why do I read scripture? So I see that God can and I can't. Why, why do I think about and try to avoid sin? Because that's not who God created me to be. And if I want to be who God created me, I can't do it on my own, right? And so these things matter, but only to the point they make you more dependent on God. If we don't do that, what's going to happen is we're going to become like the rich young man. Do you remember this story in, in Mark chapter 10? We're going to start to think that doing the right things for a long amount of time make us mature rather than doing things that make us more dependent on God makes us mature. Mark 10, uh, I'll, I'll paraphrase, the scriptures will be on the screen, uh, but Jesus was out doing his Jesus thing and, and a man comes up to him and he says, teacher, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Not an uncommon question. And so Jesus responds, you know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, cheat, um, all of this, uh, to live out the Shema, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the man responds and says, Jesus, I have from my youth kept them all. For a long time, I've done all of the right things. I've not done the wrong things. I have done the right things. So I'm good, right? And then Jesus throws him a curveball. Let me tell you, Jesus got a wicked curveball, and he ain't afraid to throw it at you or me or anyone. And he says, well, then there's one thing left. Go and sell everything that you own, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And at this, the man's face clouded over because he was very wealthy. You see, the things that we do, the disciplines, the goal is to make us more dependent. God, I've done all the right things. Great, you want me to go sell it? Perfect, because that's going to make me more dependent on you. That's the goal. You are only as mature as you are like Christ. And Christ was totally dependent on God the Father. Dr. John McKinley said this, instead of the hard data of hours logged in prayer, study, or ministry, or even a noticeable decline in the force and frequency of sinful behaviors in my life, I submit that the metrics of Jesus' dependence on the Father and his disavowal of self-sufficiency are better metrics for us to see the progressive sanctification that God is accomplishing in us. We are his project, not our own. In other words, if you want to have a better measure of spiritual maturity, don't look at did I do this and did I not do that. Instead ask, was I more dependent on God today? And the more talented you are at your work and what you do, the harder this is going to be. 
right? The more talented you are, the harder it's going to be. But listen, Jesus leads the way, right? Jesus never asks us to do something that he hasn't first already done, right? When you talk about Jesus's teaching in John 7, what does Jesus say? My teaching is not my own. Has there ever been a better preacher? And what is he? That teaching's not my own. Or what about in Luke 22? Jesus led his tomorrows. They're not my tomorrows. God, they're your tomorrows. In the garden, what does Jesus pray? Lord, if there's any way to take this cup from me, you take it, but not my will, yours. Because my tomorrow is not mine. It's yours. That with his thoughts, in John 5.30, Jesus says that I can do nothing on my own. That my, I judge as God tells me. You see, Jesus led the way in dependency on the Father so that we could follow. So it begs the question, how do we become more dependent? I've shared it with you before, but I'm going to do it again. Everybody take your hands and go just like this. Now make a real tight fist. You put them right here. Now somebody look to your neighbor and say, neighbor, if you're gripping, you're tripping. Now everybody look to your other neighbor and say, neighbor, he's talking to you. Listen, you can't, hold tight, hold tight, don't let go yet. You can't be dependent on God so long as you hold on to my talents, my abilities, my thoughts, my tomorrows, my ways. So long as you're gripping on tight, here's what happens. God can't take away the bad and God can't give the good. If you're gripping, you're tripping. But watch what happens when you open up those hands. Do you feel the release? Here's what happened. God takes away what you don't need. When you say, God, I want to be dependent on you. Take away. If, if I don't need it, if it's not of you, God, take it away. And God, only give me what I need. Those hands are open. You can receive. How do we become more dependent on God and, li- and, and, and therefore become more mature and complete? Got to open up those hands and be dependent on God. We're, we're going to move on. Number two. I become mature and complete when I die to self. I told you this is a move from all about me to not about me. Philippians 2 and verse 3 says this. It's very simple. Anybody can understand this. Philippians 2, 3, don't be selfish. Because at the root of all sin, at the root of it's all about me is selfishness. It's a me-centeredness. It's a, I am my first thoughtness. It's a, I don't care what it costs you so long as it helps me. I don't want to hear what I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear what is said. I just want to hear what I want to hear. You see, me-centeredness has a way of distorting the truth. Here's what James 3.16 says, for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find evil and disorder of every kind. You see, selfishness causes you to objectify people, to be confused about somebody's value or worth or to overlook someone because they don't do enough for you or to look down on someone because they fill in the blank. See, the lie of it's all about me is that the more that I look out for myself, the better my life will be. But here's what Jesus says in Matthew 10 and verse 38. If your first concern is to look after yourself, you'll never find yourself. If your first concern 
If the first thing I'm thinking when my feet hit the ground is me, myself, and I, you will never, ever find it. And don't think that this is just the issue of the non-Christian. There are many, many who proclaim the name of Jesus who have a rugged individuality. Think that their faith is only about themselves. All that matters is my relationship with Jesus. We exploit our talents for our own gain. We work to preserve our life. And Jesus and community all begin to look like me. But here's what Jesus goes on to say in verse 39. But if you forget about self, leave that behind, and you look to me, you'll find both yourself and me. I become mature and complete when I die to self. When I let go of my entitlement and I receive gratitude, That rather than thinking the stuff that I have is mine because I earned it or I deserve it, I begin to realize in gratitude, uh, James chapter 1 and verse 17, I love that verse 16 says, do not be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. When you begin to realize everything that you have is a gift of God, you you can't be entitled. You can't start thinking about how good I am and what I deserve and how I need to hold on to it for me. You can go, it's not about me. And I can open up. As I was freely given, I freely give. We'll talk next week about generosity. But listen to Proverbs 11, 24, 25. Somebody needs to hear this. It's not just about money. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. And the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. Do you see? As we move from all about me to not about me, the more generous I am, the bigger my world gets because my world stops being about me, myself, and I. Do you see the invitation? That there is more for us than just selfishness. Finally, grace. Selfishness is great at keeping grace. But selflessness is great at giving it. You want to stop being about me? I want to become mature by dying to give grace. I was at Starbucks back before COVID hit. There was this lady, she pulled up in a Range Rover. She was somebody, she was a big body, rolled in. She had done ordered up on her app. She knew what she was doing. She was going, she left it running. She came in, she had the suit, power suit. She had the bag, I don't know what it was, Louis uh, McCalvin, I don't know, Louis Vuitton, whatever it was. She was big body, rolled in there, came to get her coffee, wasn't quite ready yet. And the barista I knew, because I had been in there, was new. She she hadn't been doing this for long. She walks up, you can tell she was kind of awkward. She walks up to bring this lady her coffee, and as she does, she like trips like on the little rubber thing that keeps you from slipping by the, by the dishwasher if you've ever been in a restaurant. She trips, and as she trips, she squeezes the cup, and as she squeezes the cup, what happens? In slow motion, her coffee goes all over her power suit, all over her bag, and, and as I'm watching this in slow motion, I'm going, oh my goodness, this lady is about to devour. Like you just see it all happening, right? You know how the story plays out. Until, until this lady begins to apologize to the barista. And she begins to say, don't worry about it. It's okay. I'm so sorry. Don't worry. And she said, but your, but, your, but your bag. She says, it's just a bag. It's just a bag. 
And then she grabs napkins and she begins cleaning it up. The girl's almost in tears. She gives her a hug. It's pre-COVID. She gives her a hug and says, it's okay. Don't worry about it. You see, when we stop being me-centered and we start being Jesus-centered, you know, we can't help but give grace because it's just stuff. You're worth so much more. Come on, finally, number three. I become mature and complete when I deploy myself for others. I become mature and complete when I deploy myself for others. Here's what Henry Blackaby says. He says, we don't choose what we will do for God. He invites us to join him where he wants to involve us. And as we grow into maturity, we go, God, I want to deploy myself wherever you want to send me. I don't want to hold on. I don't want to think that my community is optional, right? And I've shared with you before, like I'm not great at, at community and getting to know people. It's, it's difficult for me. I, I will say from when I shared that, I don't know, maybe a year ago, I've gotten much better. I've made progress. Still have a long way to go because I start thinking, if I don't know where I fit in this room, then I'm going to sit back and be aloof, right? I, I'm not going to risk and put myself out there. One of the early church fathers said this, writing uh, around 80, 70, said, none of us have yet attained perfection. So come and take your full share in our gatherings and in our discussions, which are aimed at helping all of us towards maturity. Don't stand aloof as if you already know it all, but bring yourself in. We said it at the beginning, the relationships that we have with one another, no matter how far you've come, the people around you can help you go further, can help protect you, because none of us are exempt from stupid. And we're all just one bad decision away from the worst decision of our lives. And none of us, no matter how far down we are, no matter how broken we are, just remember that a broken clock is right twice a day. And we can learn something from anybody if we ask the right questions. Just in Proverbs 13, there were four ways that we help each other. Proverbs 13, 1, intelligent children listen to their parents. Somebody say amen. amen. Because when parents, when we give the best of ourselves for our kids, it doesn't mean that we get it right every time, but it means that you can trust my heart. Kids, it's hard to trust mom and dad, but you've got to give your best for it. It makes you both better. Proverbs 13, 10, arrogant know-it-alls stir up discord. But wise men and women listen to each other's counsel. When you come to the gathering, to the meeting, on Zoom or in person, you bring the best of you. Those around you can trust that your counsel will be wise. That it won't be arrogant or prideful. We make each other better. Proverbs 13, 18, refuse discipline and end up homeless. Embrace correction and live an, honest, an honored life. The correction only comes in community. Without community, there can't be correction. Proverbs 13, 20. Become wise by walking with the wise. Hang out with fools and watch your life fall to pieces. You see, God has created us to be with one another, to give the best of me for the best of you, the best of you for the best of me, that we might become mature incomplete. Friends, God loves you. He's got an incredible invitation for you. 
that God has more today and tomorrow than you could dare ask or imagine. Don't settle for sea horses. Don't settle for the partial view, but instead accept the invitation to move from checklist to dependence, to move from all about me to not about me, to move from optional to needed. And what's great about all of those invitations is just like God, we never get to the end of them. I can never be dependent enough on Jesus. I can never forget about me, I love you, enough. I can never need you enough. There's always more. And so friends, as we pray, would you hear the words of the pastor writing to the Hebrews? So come on. Let's leave the preschool fingerprinting exercises on Christ and get on with the grand work of art. Let us grow up in Christ as the Apostle Peter wrote. Let the gift of undeserved grace and the understanding that comes from the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to help you keep on growing, to help us keep on becoming, to help us be more like Jesus. That we would praise him now and forever. Amen. Daddy, we love you. We thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us the invitation. God, thanks for putting us on the invite list. You invited us to the party. Your parties are the best your parties don't end once the punch is gone or somebody spills the queso. Your adventure lasts for eternity. And the adventure is not just climbing mountains or risking or gambling because we hear your voice. The adventure is knowing you more, becoming more and more like you. <laughs> and every person under the influence of my voice you call them in and you have more for them. Daddy, we say thank you. In the name of Jesus, we call out any obstacle, any roadblock, any foothold that the evil one would have to make us less dependent on you, to make us more self-centered, to make us think that we need community less. We rebuke that in the name of Jesus. And we say, call us more to dependence. Call us more to selflessness. Call us more a required community that we would become like you <laughs> that the world would know you that we would bring hope and light and a reason for living to a world that's begging for it the secular age said that God was dead until they realized that there was a deep longing inside of them that wouldn't go away just because they cast out the name of Jesus. There's a divine fingerprint on all of us, a calling on everyone. God, would you use me? Would you use Riverside to go and say that longing, that hole, that deep inside is the invitation. It's been there all along. You just got to open it. 
and come to the party. You ain't got to bring anything. <laughs> Jesus done got it catered. Let's go. God, we love you. Thanks for loving us. We want to be like you, mature and complete in every way. In the name of Jesus, we pray.